With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Cleveland Baseball Podcast, Episode 2. We still don't officially have a name, but... Even by the end of this, we'll be able to figure out what we're going to call ourselves. TJ Zuppi of The Athletic, alongside my partner Zach Meisel, also of The Athletic, Cleveland, covering the Tribe. And this is an interesting team that we have to talk about, Zach, because as we sit here today, I'm in Chicago as this series continues. Uh, it's guaranteed rate U.S. Cellular Comiskey Park Field, or whatever they're calling it this week. And they're getting ready to continue this four-game series. They've won 12 in a row. And as we were talking about what we were going to discuss on this podcast, you sent me back a simple question. How in the hell are the Indians doing what they're doing right now? And Zach, I don't know that I have a great answer for you. Because as I look up and down the roster, I look at the guys on the disabled list. I look at the guys that have contributed. The guys that are in the starting lineup every day. People that were down in double-A just a few weeks ago. And yet this team has won 12 in a row. Zach, how in the hell are they doing this? TJ, first of all, I've got like 17 different things we need to discuss before we get to the meat and potatoes of this episode. First of all, guaranteed rate field. I have said it is in my bottom three ballparks in the league. Um, You've had some experiences there. Would you agree? It's not great. There's that. no ambiance. It's, it's There's no great. personality. It's always empty. It's not in the greatest neck of the woods. And it's uh I've seen some miserable baseball played there. Yeah, it's you're right on the not the not having much personality. I think they've tried in recent years to to add that, but is that something that you can add? Like once the park is there and it's set up and you've you've got the structure in place. Can you create personality years later? I think, no, but, I think it's, it is what it is. Yeah, but that's that's the issue is that there was no you know architectural like Progressive Field has nice things about it. It looks nice and it still looks new twenty some years later. You can say the same thing about Camden Yards and and a lot of those parks that were built in the mid nineties. And then this one, it's like, oh, it's just so boring and dreary and. I'm sure the fact that the team that plays there isn't very good plays into it because it's always empty, and it's just—I don't know. It's—it's. I walk into that place and it's like going to a a museum and not even an interesting museum. Just like a—I don't know. There was a museum for like different types of minerals or (laughs) like like sand or something. I I mean, like let's let's be fair though, Zach, because it's not like walking into the. Oakland Coliseum. Again, that's another one. I'm not really sure what it's called. It's not quite like that. It's not walking into prison like that one feels with the barbed wire and feel like you're going to a sentencing. But like a nice local jail. (laughs) Like if Oakland is prison, this is like, you know, where you spend a night if you get caught shoplifting. Okay, that's fair. I feel like maybe that's what happened to, to send me on this part of the trip, but I, 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 guess, I guess that works. You're right. I, I spared mean, you the doubleheaders. Yeah, that's true. And um, in, in fairness, I, I will appreciate that. 
So the other part is the name Guaranteed Rate Field, which is some of these sponsors are, are getting so ridiculous now with the names, but um, like that, that doesn't roll off the tongue. And the best part is their logo. It's white and red with an arrow pointing down, which is perfect because that is a summation of the White Sox the last few years when they've disappointed and now they're in the middle of this rebuild and, and they've got a lot of young minor league talent, but it's, I mean, it, it's perfect. Guaranteed with an arrow pointing down. <laughs> The rate could not be any more guaranteed at which they will tumble downward. And I know the fans of the White Sox are excited about their future, as I think they should be. They've stockpiled a number of interesting talents moving forward. And I think many years from now, that will be a very interesting team to, to deal, for the Indians to deal with. But they're not right now. And they're a team that, for the Indians, I'm sure, when they're trying to... to build up as many victories as they can and maybe make a run at this top seed in the American League. They're thankful to have teams like Detroit and Chicago on their schedule, though coming into this series, I figured the White Sox would play the Indians a little bit more tough than the the Tigers did. I don't know if it's just because they're deeper into their rebuild and they have some of the, the younger kids up playing, so maybe they have a little bit more to play for. The Tigers look like they're on the death march to the end. They They look like they are headed to... You know, the chair that you say goodbye to everybody in and they electrocute you. I mean, that's that was pretty much what it looked like in that series. I don't know if you have a different takeaway, but I'm not surprised that the first game of this series with the White Sox went uh, a little bit more competitively, if you will. Yeah, I think it's kind of like you said, like the White Sox know their future should be bright. The Tigers don't know that yet. They know the immediate future is pretty desolate and dark. And they hope at some point they'll be able to trade a lot of their veterans, get some prospects. But, you know, I heard there was one writer in the Detroit press box. This one was someone who managed to stay awake uh, for the <laughs> series, who who one of the first things he said after they traded Verlander and Upton was he, he was predicting that it was going to be like after the Indians traded Cliff Lee and, and CC Sabathia and attendance dropped pretty considerably over the next few years and fans turned on the team and the ownership and, there were some ugly seasons in there, a lot of 90-loss years. I, I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, I think Tigers fans realized this team needed to rebuild. They needed to rebuild probably two years ago because um, you always want to get out in front of it, mm. and you don't want to wait until it's too late. Just ask the Phillies, who are still trying to recuperate after holding on to guys like Ryan Howard for too long um, and Chase Utley for too long. And so – it's yeah, you're you're in weird spots. Like the Tigers are just gonna sleepwalk through this final month, and then they'll regroup, and who knows what they'll be next year? Except they'll be bad. The White Sox, though, you're right. They've got some young kids who are trying to impress, trying to stick on the roster, and so when you have nothing to lose, I think sometimes you can you can play more competitively. But I mean, as as Travis Sawchick wrote earlier this week, and I wrote it a couple times last week. I mean, you look around this division. We know where the Royals are headed because they've got a lot of free agents, and we obviously know about the White Sox and the Tigers. The Twins, certainly, they should stick around um, and be pretty good, but I think we all agree like they, they need some they still a, a couple marquee pieces short of, of being a real threat here. And with the Indians, it's like you should be able to beat up on this division for the next two or three years, right? I would think so. Now, crazier things have happened, and the Twins have surprised me with how well they, not only in the first half, but that they've continued to remain competitive and 
if the playoffs began today, they'd be in. They'd be fighting in that wild card game against the Yankees, which I, I think you could have <laughs> taken a lot of money from a lot of people placing that bet. Or placing that bet. But yeah, it just the division is set up in such a way that I could understand why ownership in the front office has been more willing to go all in in recent years. And certainly we saw that last year with Andrew Miller and spending a little bit more money to bring in someone like Jay Bruce after the trade deadline. Those are moves that in the past you're not used to seeing the Indians make, but I think they understand that the window is now. And while we probably make too much of that term alone, just window, windows are open as long as you want them to be if you make the right moves when you should. But still, this is the time, the next two, maybe three years, and and maybe that's pushing it a little bit, this is the time when you should be taking advantage of guys that still aren't making a ton. Now, next year and the year after that, they'll probably start to escalate a little bit more. But you still have some team-friendly deals. The time has never been more now for this franchise, and and they're taking advantage of that. Like I said, 12 in a row at this point. And the way that they've done it, it has just been incredible to me. They're bludgeoning people, and they're doing it with – I mean, the one thing that stood out to me the most, because, look, the rotation's been excellent. We know that. But we kind of expected that that would happen at some point. It was – they were one of the worst rotations in the American League for the first couple of months, and we're all scratching our heads like, this isn't right. And these guys will get on track, and they'll get healthy, and they'll get better. And so that's not a surprise. The offense, they were number two in the American League in runs scored last year. They added Edwin Encarnacion. Um, Guys are – older and more experienced, so we thought there would be steps taken by Lindor and Ramirez. Like, all that stuff's happened. That's not that much of a surprise. The bullpen's been great. We knew that was going to happen. The one aspect that's been incredible to me, and we know they have so many injuries, but the bottom of the order, when they have plugged in Yandy Diaz, Gio Urshela, Eric Gonzalez, Roberto Perez, or Yango, I mean, it's the last few weeks, or really maybe even since the All-Star break, the guys hitting at the bottom of the order have been incredible. And it's, it's strange because it's like in, earlier in the season, there were so many times when they weren't getting hitting, and it was like, okay, well, if they're going to win today, they need a home run from Lindor. They need Ramirez. Remember on that road trip in Minnesota and Baltimore, I think in June, Ramirez and Edwin Encarnacion just got scorching hot, and they carried the entire team for a week. Like They needed stuff like that. And now it's at the point where – you're getting contributions up and down that lineup. That that's that's a scary way to play because those were that's where the injuries were supposed to kind of rear their head uh, the most, and you're supposed to notice the absence of Kipnis and um, Zimmer, who's been in and out of the lineup, and Brantley, and so that hasn't been the case, and it's it's just remarkable to me because those were guys who weren't hitting for the longest time, and now there it seems like there's no holes in the lineup, and we're trying to figure out. How might this team lose in October? And, you know, any team can go cold at the wrong time. But, like, if you're, be, if you're able to get contributions from those guys, then I don't know how this team loses. It seems like, Zach, I think back on that game that Doug Fister just shoved and threw the, the one hitter and the only hit was the leadoff home run by Lindor. And I, I think it was after that game I wrote, okay, now might be the time that some of these injuries might come back to to haunt the Indians and, and that – wouldn't be surprising because that's sort of what's supposed to happen when injuries take place mm-hmm. and that it could be uh, a couple of weeks that we're, we're going to be tough. And I feel like since that, since I wrote that, they've been unstoppable. And, it, and it's been, it's not just like you could just look, as you said, it's not just one guy. 
it's been Perez on a different day. It has been Gomes coming up with a home run. And while the numbers aren't overall spectacular, just finding different situations where they can be dangerous. Yanni Diaz, since he's been back up, has been uh, hitting the ball hard like he did early in the year, but he's getting rewarded with base hits, and he's pulling the ball a little bit more. Looks more like a, a dangerous hitter up there himself. Giovanni Urshela has backed up the defense that he's played at third base with the occasional base hit, and they've all come at the right times. As you mentioned, Eric Gonzalez, they're just plugging in these guys that as I look at other teams that the Indians are playing that are kind of playing out the string, and the Tigers are one of them. You see who they're plugging in now, that they've made some trades, that they've had some injuries. And then I look at what the Indians are doing with guys that they're plugging in, and, and I think that's kind of when it started to set in for me that, wow, somewhere along the line, and I think we knew it was happening, but it, we didn't really realize how well it was happening. The depth of this organization that they've created is incredible. And it might not be full of, of top-tier talent. It might not be full of guys that are going to be ever considered for an MVP award or a Cy Young. But they've got a number of guys that if you need to plug them in for two or three weeks, they're not going to embarrass you. In fact, they might actually play kind of well. And that's the part that's probably been most surprising. And I even asked, after Mejia gets his, Francisco Mejia is playing for Edwin Encarnacion yesterday. He comes up with his first major league hits, first major league RBI. And after the game, I asked Bauer just about how, how they've been able to do that. Just different guys coming up and having different contributions. And Zach, I think they almost have surprised themselves with how they've been able to do that. I mean, they're confident in themselves, but at some point, I think they're too surprised that they look up today with a 12-game win streak. And Bauer even said, like, how about that? How, how, how is this happening? But it's a testament to the front office and the organization and the players that are within them that have allowed that to take place. Well, and Bauer said it himself when, when he started in New York and a New York writer asked him what's been the difference over the last six weeks and the Cleveland writers in attendance kind of get a pained look on their face because they know Bauer is uh, typical to either give a really short response to that question or uh, not too kind response to that question. And he, in fitting fashion, he said, regression. <laughs> and the guy said, well, like, what do you mean by that? Like, what's, what's been different? What's regressed? And he just said, regression. <laughs> and so it, it's, you know, there were, there were things, it's not just Bauer, there were things that happened over the first few months where it almost seemed like they were losing in different ways every night. And you could blame it one night on this, you know, they, they'd lose eight to seven. And it's like, man, if we just would have had a normal Carlos Carrasco start in this game, we would have won easily. Or they lose two to one after a really good start from Clevenger. And it's like, well, if you could have just gotten normal offense this night, you would have won. And so it's something like Lindor makes an error in the eighth inning. He never does that. And they end up, it costs him a game. It's like, it was something different every night. And usually over the course of time, when you have a good team, that stuff evens out. And, and you're better than that. And, and you start, you know, I think... Last year, everyone wanted to say, well, if you take away the 14-game winning streak, they're really just like a barely over 500 team. And it's like, okay, you don't take away a 14-game winning streak. You know, if you're going to play it like that, then say, okay, well, if they didn't lose this game where the ball bounced off the outfielder's face and went off the foul pole for a game-winning grand slam, they would have been better. You know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> I so, wish I was there at that game. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. You should have seen it. I can't uh, so, wait for all of the memes of that one. <laughs> So, so we pick these arbitrary things just to kind of make the argument we want to make when if you take a step back, and I know baseball is not conducive to Twitter. Twitter, you just want to fire off your reactions and you want to count teams out in May or after 
five NBA games. And it's like, just take a deep breath because there are 162 games. The season, the regular season is six months long. And if you're going to start coming to these resolute opinions in May and June, you're going to look foolish in the end. And that's, of course, is what has happened. And now the Indians are 25 games over 500. And I think a lot of it is just they were losing in fluky ways. You know, someone, there was a different culprit every night. And now that's not happening. Now we're seeing the way the offense should pl- should hit. We're seeing the way the pitching, I mean, the rotation probably won't have a 170 ERA forever, but it's it's closer to this, this yeah. the way they're pitching now than it was the first couple months. And so stuff just evens out. And, and so I think you, Terry Francona always says, you know, we don't look back. We don't think about what we've done in the last seven days or the last month or the last two weeks. I mean, they look at the totality of things and the totality of things are they're 81 and 56 and they're playing their best baseball when the playoffs are only a few weeks away. Yeah. I mean, I, and I know you got asked this many times too, every time you're on some sort of, of radio show, I, the way I always said it is, yeah, they aren't playing well or they aren't hitting offensively or the rotation hasn't lived up to what we thought it could or whatever the bullpen Anything you wanted to point to on a particular night, nothing that was happening ever really changed my opinion about them being the best team in the Central and Mm -hmm. that they were going to win the division and could still make a run at the World Series. None of that ever changed that. Now, were there times where they were tough to watch? Yes. Were there stretches where they didn't play their best ball and they kind of had to look at themselves in the mirror a little bit? Absolutely. Every team kind of goes through that, unless you're the Dodgers. And then you look here recently, they've slipped a tiny bit. And still they're on pace for you know, one of their best seasons in franchise history. You know, these things happen, and it's, it's about how you deal with them. And to their credit, I, you know, there's been many a times where we left a locker room late at night, and it's, it's desolate, and guys are kind of ticked off, or it's quiet, and it's kind of a ghost town. You can see a tumbleweed blowing through, and you're like, man, how, how are they going to recover from a loss like this? They, they just don't, you know, they don't seem, you know, they, they took this one pretty tough. And then we'd come back in the next day and the music's blaring and guys are having fun. The way that they've been able to turn the page, it sounds cliche and we've kind of heard it so much that sort of we roll our eyes. But that's one of the most impressive things to me about this team is that when they show up the next day, they, they legitimately are focused on that day at hand. And not too often do they let that carry over too much. And I, I've, I've really been impressed by their way to, to kind of handle that and car, uh, compartmentalize things. Yeah, I mean, we, and it's it's okay. Like, fans are supposed to be passionate. They're supposed to be um, skeptical, and they want the best. And and so, like, there will be some fans who, you know, you say, everyone's gone through these stretches except maybe the Dodgers. And it's like, well, why can't we be the Dodgers? Like, we should be the number ones. And it's like, okay, they're having a historic season. Relax. But we, we only see the faults with ourselves and and we don't look outside the box at all we think everything is perfect everywhere else and it's it's the reason why brian shaw gets so much hate it's the reason why cody allen gets received so much flack it's it's unbelievable i've seen they had someone email me yesterday and say when are they going to wake up and get rid of shaw and allen they're going to cost them games in october (laughs) okay well you know if 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 you put them on the trade block you're going to have 29 teams calling you begging you to get those guys. Yeah, but Octavio Dotel is not walking through that door. <laughs> well, he did walk through 14 of the 30 major league teams' doors That's at true. one point. Unfortunately, never the Indians. But but we don't, you know, people don't realize, and we we think we said this last time, 
Like the Tigers have had a terrible bullpen for a decade. It's the reason they didn't win a World Series, even though they won four straight division titles. They made the World Series in, what, 06 and 2012. They couldn't get over the hump. It was always their downfall, and they could never fix that. Like, you, you think they wish they could have had a Cody Allen or a Brian Shaw on that team? Of course. So we see the faults that we watch every day, and so we, we magnify them, and we don't consider that, you know what, the Red Sox have had a really up-and-down season too. And outside of Chris Sale, they don't really know what they have in the rotation, and they don't have the offense that they had last year, and they don't have an eighth-inning bridge to Craig Kimbrell. And the Astros, they need to get healthy and they need Verlander helps that rotation because that rotation outside of Dallas Keuchel is not very good. And so other teams have faults too, and we just kind of sit back and all we have to analyze is the Indians' first 40 games, and they were just okay, and there were a lot of ups and downs, and so we think that's going to last for 162, and that's, that's not the case. And there, there was never a point really, and this isn't to say that like I, I'm a clairvoyant or anything, but like, <laughs> There was never a point when I thought they weren't going to win this division. I mean, did you really think that Minnesota or Kansas City had a chance? Uh, you, you shouldn't have. I mean, it took Kansas City had a 10-game winning streak, and they didn't even gain any ground on the Indians. And that was their really their one shot at it. So I, I think it's important to practice patience if you can um, and just know that if you don't want to, I mean, this kind of thing can happen. And you wake up and the Indians are 25 games over. They have a 10-game lead. And now we're counting down the days until they clinch. But it, it is also, I mean, it's a testament to the Indians because it seems like they, whether it's last year during the playoffs or this year with all the injuries, you know, they really play their best when their backs are against the wall. And that's cliche to say, but there is something there. Like, they've struggled against some bad teams this year, too. They couldn't beat Oakland. They couldn't beat San Francisco or San Diego. And yet they go and they have no trouble with Houston or New York. They've played okay against Boston. Um, that's a little strange to me too. It's, it's makes me think that maybe they need to, they need that extra jolt of adrenaline or something challenging them to play their best. But well, you're going to have that in October anyway. Yeah. And it, the next few weeks are certainly going to be fun to watch just as far as seeing if, if they can take down Houston for that top spot in the American league. I, I, I wouldn't say, I don't know if you agree. I would assume you do that. That top spot is nice, and if you can grab it, that's great, and have the extra home games all the way through the American League, tremendous. But it should never be done in such a way that it it impacts what could happen in the future. You, you don't want to run guys into the ground. And to, the, to that point, they've done a, a very good job, Tito has here recently, of, of trying to mix in some rest for some guys. I mean, Jay Bruce, the fact that he's not in the lineup in the, the past few days has sent a flurry of of Twitter mentions our way, just trying to figure out where he's at. Where, what are you doing? Why, why, why is he not in the lineup? Well, they have this gigantic lead. They're playing really well. The guys that they've plugged in have been able to play really well. So take an extra day to make sure the, the stiff neck doesn't become an issue. Or for Edwin, he's played 133 of 136 games. Mix in Francisco Mejia. And what do you know? These are the guys that are coming up with the big hits. Um, and that's part of what's made this team here recently fun to cover because you know we kind of have a different a different guy to write about every night or a different angle that we can look to it's not always you know the Mike Trout show or 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 something like that there's always somebody different some different angle some different storyline and last night the storyline 
<laughs> that it took Twitter by storm and uh, was fun to follow was Trevor Bauer versus Avisail Garcia. And as that was playing out, it was first it was interesting to see, okay, where did this start? Go check the video. It was like going back and and going through photos, enhance, enhance. Who said hmm. what first? Uh, who was ticked off about what? Well, as we found, later found out, uh, Avi was upset that he wasn't getting many fastballs because he creams fastballs. And Trevor, being the antagonist that he enjoys being at times, was throwing him curveballs and eventually did throw him a fastball that Avi missed. And it resulted in a little bit of a, a showdown, which I think, Zach, baseball needs a little bit more of. You know, it didn't sure. culminate in a bean brawl and it wasn't about unwritten rules. It was two guys facing off. And it culminated in a, a couple of uh, awkward glances, but still, I think, kind of fun. I, I agree with you. I think baseball needs personality. I think baseball needs antagonists and protagonists and um, all the personality it can get. And, and I've never had a problem with Bauer showing personality, even though I've not been a fan of his personality at times. Um, he can be a stickler with us and make our lives difficult. And he can, you know, we can say all the negative things we want because um, he, he's deserved our criticism many times, but he's pitching really well. And I think he has turned a corner a bit this season in terms of just kind of like, it's, it's too easy to say he's grown up this year, but like he has a little bit and I'm curious to see if you feel the same way, but like, yeah, he still sometimes gives us short answers or he doesn't like questions. He's pouty in post-game interviews, uh, especially when the team doesn't win. But I, there has been more personality and more, I guess, letting us in, letting fans into his thought process. And I'm appreciative of that. I'm appreciative – I mean, you wrote this, but like, there's nothing worse than – I hate post-game – interview sessions it's, it's my least favorite part of the job because we are going to get canned answers and we don't want to be there the players don't want to be there um, it's informative to ask Francona about certain decisions or certain situations but other than that like asking a starting pitcher how he felt and what pitch he was trying to throw like that stuff is it's kind of mind-numbing and so it's it's refreshing when Bauer shows personality and he explains I mean the answer he gave you guys yesterday was awesome and i know it pained the the pr staff but <laughs> that kind of stuff is great and i think we need more of it and bauer's the guy to get it and and i'm appreciative that he's not afraid to speak his mind yeah i mean certainly there's there's many a time where you kind of sit there and roll your eyes when he's talking about someone having a slugging percentage on a curveball in the lower third of the strike zone and that's what ended up costing him a, a home run or something to that effect because I think there are situations where that's relevant. It might not always be when he brings it up. But the mm -hmm. fact that he's willing to give us something candid, something that's honest, or something that it's just on you know, the forefront of his mind, I always appreciate. And I'll never rip him for that. And even when he gives us short answers and he's, he doesn't give us very much to work with, the fact that he is short or that he only talks in a, in a post-game setting might only say 13 words, that in itself becomes a story. You know, he, he never leaves you with, with nothing to write about, which is kind of what I appreciate as someone in, in your position too that is looking for something fun and different to, to kind of open up fans with. So 
I thought it was it was not only fun yesterday to kind of follow that and see, you know, what his what his thought was going to be, and unfortunately we didn't get Garcia's opinion because he wasn't available to the White Sox writers. Maybe we'll get more of that today. But I did have a, a little bit of a awkward, un, unexpected realization on Twitter after I tweeted out his long, lengthy quote that, that many people sort of dug. And I was looking through my mentions later on, and I would say 95% of the people that were responding to that, that were quote tweeting what Bauer said or just responding on Twitter, seemed to really like it. And many people were even saying that something like this kind of won them over on him. And he's been a guy that obviously is very polarizing to not just every fan base, but to the Indians fan base. There's many Indians fans that don't particularly uh, dig his style or dig what he says or dig what he's actually doing on the mound. It certainly helps that he's pitching really, really well here recently. And I would say that many people probably would have taken back a lot of their reservations about starting him in a playoff game. But maybe it's because he's pitching well. And when you match that with his kind of brash confidence and, and him uh, saying what he said about the showdown last night, it's, it's sort of made him a little bit of an anti-hero, if you will. It's almost like he got so good at being the heel that people are starting to appreciate it, and maybe he sort of made a face turn. Well, TJ, you're the, you're the wrestling expert. I have some expertise. I can probably tell you about every episode of Raw from 1998 to 2001. Um, <laughs> and you frequently I, have. <laughs> but I, here's the one example I came up with that maybe is similar when The Rock was the corporate champion at the end of 98 and carried that into 99 and then he was getting ready to face Stone Cold at WrestleMania 15. Uh, but even though he was the quote-unquote heel and he was paired up with Vince McMahon and all those bad guys, fans wanted to cheer him because he was so good at being heel that he lost the belt to Stone Cold and I think the next night fans cheered him and, and he turned face. So is that kind of, is that apples to apples here i'm 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 buying it i think okay. you, you get to a point and it has to be backed up by performance i mean that's when when bauer does what he does and he's not pitching well i think it's easy to rip on what he says but when he's pitching well and then he backs that up with his words and and kind of shows you his competitiveness people i think tend to like that sort of thing you know it's it for fans too and they probably don't maybe appreciate it as much as we do when guys stray away from the cliches because maybe they just don't pay enough attention to it. But when you've got a guy out there that's pointing to the dugout after he strikes a guy out, and then after the game he's willing to double down on that and not go the typical, oh, well, it was just, you know, competitive situation and we respect each other. Trevor's like, hey, no, go back to the dugout. Let me remind you of the rules of the game. <laughs> that sort of thing, uh, you know, while it, it might – it, it, like you said, it might uh, pain some of the PR staff as they hear it and know that, oh boy, this could create a little bit of a mess. And for fans, they want to hear that sort of thing. They want to hear that personality, and, and me too. I, I enjoy that personality, and, and maybe just because of the way that he's pitching, when you match that with his personality, that starts to bring out a guy that people can actually enjoy a little bit. Yeah, I, I think the same people who are calling him a head case – are probably now calling him awesome. Like, I think it, it's it's the avenue in which you do it. I mean, there are a lot of people who disagree with how he antagonizes fans on Twitter. 
how he spoke for his teammates at a very contentious time mm. about politics. All of that is fine. I think we can make all of that separate as well. Just like we can make his post-game sourpuss attitude with us at times. That's separate too. When he's pitching well and he's confident and he's pointing the opposing player he just struck out back to the dugout, that's great. And I, like we've said, I wish there was more of that in baseball, more of that in sports. And it's not just we want people with bad attitudes, but it's, it makes it fun and, and we need more rivalries in baseball, stuff like that. So I'm all for it. I, I think if, if you want to look at the actual um, what he is doing on the mound, I think a lot of it is he's, he's been better with guys on base, stranding runners yeah. much at a much better rate. And you know what um, that is, Zach? That would be regression. That, that absolutely would be regression. And so he's not going to, you know, what he's done over the last, I don't know, two months, again, that, that everything comes back to earth, whether you're above the line or below the line. And so, yeah, you, you still should feel confident with him as your number three or number four guy going into a postseason series. And if he can keep this up for another month or so, then that's all the better. Right. I mean, you can look at the things that he's done as a pitcher to become a more complete pitcher, and he's feeling more confident throwing his slider, as I wrote about at The Athletic. And, you know, he's expanded the pitch mix to in such a way that seems to he seemed to have found a good mix of everything. He's relying more on the curveball, and he should because that's an excellent weapon. And he's throwing more for strikes. And on top of all of that, some of the bad luck that he had that he was right about to an extent, you know, he's got – or at least after his last start I checked, he had the worst batting average on balls in play in baseball. And while he does give up some hard contact, it's probably not to the level that he should should own that stat at this point. So right. Some of that has come back down to earth a little bit. And he even joked about it, and I talked about him, about his slider, that you know we're, we're too often thrown, thrust into these narratives of someone has figured it out. This guy has, has grown up. This guy has done this or done that. And sometimes, as he noted, you just get into a groove and something works and then something doesn't work and then you have to go back to the drawing board. He's just in a stretch right now where his performance and his, and he's getting a little bit of good luck and it's all matched the production that everyone has been very pleased by. And you don't know if it will continue. He certainly hopes that it will. But he's tinkered in such a way that I think it's, he's kind of found a good mix of everything, at least for now. And TJ, this doesn't happen if you pull the plug on him back in May or June, like some people would have wanted. And, and you know what? I think I even wrote at times where it was like, all right, if this guy doesn't get it turned around in the next couple of starts, yeah, you do have to look elsewhere. But the Indians were patient, and it's, it kind of mirrors what we've said about the, the season as a whole, where you can't give up, you can't run away from guys after a few bad outings, after a couple months, because it's a long haul. And guys with track records, guys with talent um, – eventually they're going to figure it out or, or get on a roll and do what you expected them to do. And you look up at the end of the season and those numbers are right about where they should be. Zach, what do you say we meet up at Progressive Field when the Indians are going for their, let's see, 13, 14, 15, that would be their 16th in a row. Do you think it could, do you think they'll finish this off this road trip? <laughs> road trip. What, what are you talking about? Season. Is this team ever going to lose again? It's, it's remarkable. I, I mean, so, it, it's – and, like, I, we, we can talk about this on a future podcast or a future diamond dialogue on The Athletic, but, like, me. they're doing this without a lot of important guys, and they're going to get those important guys back, and then they're going to have to figure out who the heck stays in October and who, who do they send 
uh, to the, I don't know, what do people on not on the playoff roster do? If they, I guess they, if you're Chris Jimenez, you still show up every day. But if you're not. The resort in Arizona, you, that's what happens. Yeah, that's right. So Go hang out with Cody Anderson and help him pick up boxes. <laughs> Can you do that yet? Is he there? I don't think so. I think the doctors have specified that he cannot pick up a box yet. So it, it's those are going to be some tough decisions. As Terry Francona and Chris Antonetti have said over and over, that's that's a good problem to have, but it is going to be one. And you know, I, I wrote a couple of weeks ago, like when they swept Kansas City, that kind of set the table for September being a fun month because instead of being frantically clawing your way to the finish line, trying to hold off teams, instead you get to experiment with different lineups. You get to play Francisco Mejia and Greg Allen get to get a longer look at some of these guys to see if they're fit for the playoff roster. Like that's, that's stress-free. That's easy. That's what you want to be doing in September. And they've earned the right to do that. Well, unfortunately they sort of were in a similar situation last year and then all hell broke loose. <laughs> Their pitching staff got hurt. So hopefully they can avoid something like that down the stretch, but it's the one thing you can't really forecast. Uh, but to their credit, They've handled a lot of injuries this year, and the depth has been on display. Zach, appreciate the time this week. You know I do, and uh, you know maybe at some point we can't officially name this. Is have you checked with your with Bill Selby's people? Is he cool with being linked to such a terrible uh, two guys talk, talking out their ass about baseball? That I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want to be associated with that. First of all, I thought this was pretty insightful. Second of all, I forgot we are allowed to swear on this. That's kind of cool. Um, and you want to just all, get them all out of the way right now? Just fire them off nah, one after another? I'll pick my spots when you least expect it. <laughs> but I will say Bill Selby, you know, I did a story on him earlier this year. It was the 15-year anniversary of his walk-off Grand Slam against Mariano Rivera. Well, I think I said last podcast, one of the most humble, down-to-earth people I've ever spoken with. He, you know, he randomly texted me. Uh, when was this? Like a month ago, out of the blue, I hadn't talked to him since early July, and this is probably the second week of August, and he randomly texted me and asked me what my t-shirt size was, and I replied, and that was it, and I've never heard, I haven't heard from him since. <laughs> so, I, that has, that's a complete non sequitur, nothing to do with anything, but I just wanted to share that I'm very stumped by that, and uh, if I do reach out and ask him what he thinks about the podcast being named after him. Uh, I'm sure he will have a very, he'll be very humbled. Um, and I would also like to know why he needed my teacher's size. <laughs> he, just, he just wants to know more about you, dude. Just <laughs> let it be. Zach, thanks for the time. And say goodbye to, to Linus, your puppy for me, and whatever else you were doing in the background. Yeah, you know, I've actually, he loves when I do this because I have had to keep him occupied the whole time. So I've been feeding him. <laughs> Biscuits and bananas nonstop for the last half an hour. Um, and that is why my puppy is 70 pounds going on 200. <laughs> Biscuits and bananas. Maybe that should be the name of the podcast. All right, buddy. I'll see you <laughs> next week. Sounds good, TJ.